This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Washington Post technology reporter Drew Harwell is spending a lot of his time these days working on stories about TikTok, a massively popular app that's experiencing the kind of growth right now that Facebook and Instagram did back in their heydays. So, Drew, are you on TikTok? Do you have a TikTok account? I do. I'm not, I'm not a creator. I'm just a weird lurker. My editor is also kind of obsessed with it. Have you, you haven't posted any videos? No, I haven't posted anything. I, I feel a lot of pressure because everything that goes on there is really funny and um, smart and clever, and I'm none of those things. My favorite TikTok video that I've seen so far is a bunch of quick shots of a guy throwing slices of cheese at the windows of cars sitting next to him at stoplights. And each time a cheese slice sticks to a window, the music is synced so that a huge beat drops. It's hypnotic. Yeah, when I look at it, it's, it's, there's always music behind everything, and there's a lot of pranks, a lot of sort of quick one-liners, a lot of funny visual stuff, and it's all young people. Is, that, is, is the core user, the, the, the teen, the very young person, the under 25? Yeah, it's almost entirely young people. That's changing a little bit, but like the high schoolers who would never dream of going on Facebook, they're all on TikTok, and it is sort of the capital of, of their comedy today. So far, this sounds like your pretty standard social media story. Teens flock to some new app where they post wacky videos. Adults scramble to figure out why this is the hot new app. And meanwhile, celebrities and brands scramble to figure out how to use the app to connect with the teens and market things to them. Will Smith, Reese Witherspoon, the NFL, these entities all have a presence on TikTok. But here's where it gets weird. Last month, Democratic Senator Chuck Schumer and Republican Senator Tom Cotton sent a joint letter to the U.S. Director of National Intelligence. They asked about security risks around TikTok and wondered if TikTok is, quote, a potential counterintelligence threat we cannot ignore. It seems crazy, right? And that's the thing Washington is just starting to explore. When you look at TikTok, it's really easy to just see the sort of fun videos. But it's also this incredibly instrumental communication platform for kids and young people. The U.S. government has had its issues with Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat. And some of those issues have touched very directly on politics and elections and national security. But those social media companies are all American. And TikTok is not. Its parent company is Chinese, which has got lawmakers asking a lot of questions lately. Thank you all for being here. I'd like to thank... uh... Earlier this month, Republican Senator Josh Hawley convened a hearing about tech companies with ties to China. I'd also like to highlight two empty chairs today, which I say for two invited witnesses who apparently don't share your commitment to discussing these issues. One chair is for TikTok. He drew on some of the reporting that Drew has done for The Post, And Hawley said this about TikTok. A company compromised by the Chinese Communist Party knows where your children are, knows what they look like, what their voices sound like, what they're watching, and what they share with each other. Hawley makes this sound pretty scary. What happens when the big social media platform, the one everybody's on, is based in China? 
Does it raise different concerns about security or data privacy or censorship or propaganda? Or is this just fear-mongering about a geopolitical rival? Today, we talk to Drew Harwell, one of the few reporters who's spoken to workers inside TikTok. We'll explore the excitement and the anxiety around this blockbuster app and figure out what happens when social media is maybe socialist. I'm Seth Stevenson, subbing in for Lizzie O'Leary, and this is What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. TikTok, this app that's got all of American teendom in thrall, is owned by a Chinese company called ByteDance. According to Bloomberg News, ByteDance is the most valuable privately backed startup in the world, worth $75 billion. It makes a Chinese version of TikTok called Douyin and a couple of other apps that are available in China and America. Drew was able to get a peek inside the ByteDance empire to see how it operates and figure out how independent its American arms are. So in your reporting for The Washington Post, you you spoke to some people who've worked at TikTok. What kinds of people did you talk to? So we wanted to talk to as many kind of TikTok ByteDance people as possible. So we sort of cast a wide net and we ended up talking to a ton of former content moderators at both TikTok and ByteDance's other really popular American app, which is called uh, Top Buzz, which is sort of a news aggregation app. So these were people who... They would get the reports of content that was maybe flagged for something being wrong in it. It's a job that you'll see at Facebook and all the other places. I mean, they give the rubber stamp of approval or disapproval to pieces of content on the app. We also talked to a couple other people who were above them in the ranks who were at the manager level in both the California and New York offices of ByteDance. And they had sort of seen from the inside that the office was run a little differently than they expected, that the... Beijing-based executive teams and management teams were were very – they had a lot of control and exerted a lot of influence over what content was allowed on the app and what content that American users could see. So it seems like it would would put some of these TikTok employees in a slightly uncomfortable position where you're you're balancing the demands of your U.S. customers, what what these teens want the app to be, plus these Chinese owners. What did they say about how they balance those demands? There was a lot of content that was just obviously stuff we don't want no matter where it's coming from, right? So it's it's the typical sort of violence, sex, drugs, the stuff that any platform would, would take off. And so that was not hard for them to make the decision on. But when it came time to deal with stuff that would have been mostly acceptable in the U.S. but was not deemed okay in China, stuff like political criticism, stuff like 
social taboos or even stuff like heavy kissing, vaping, over-sexualized like dances and that kind of thing. In, in their words, they would see that piece of content coming over and they would feel like, well, this is okay. You know, this is the stuff you can see on YouTube and Facebook right now. It's, it's, it's not breaking any like obvious rules about violence or sex. And so they would give it the rubber stamp of approval. And then they would kind of find out later on that they had been overruled by a moderation team that was based in Beijing that got the final say on what would be allowed. They were expecting that there would be kind of a stricter set of rules for content on the version of TikTok that's used in China, which is called Douyin. But they were expecting kind of a different set of rules in the U.S. And so they were really surprised and kind of dismayed at the fact that they were quietly muting people and taking videos off the platform that they felt like were acceptable, should have been like something that we would tolerate in a free speech country. A TikTok executive has issued a statement saying that decisions about which videos to promote or remove are not directed by the Chinese government. People have tried to test whether censorship of political criticism is happening on TikTok, for instance, by posting content about the Hong Kong protests and waiting to see if it gets deleted by the app. But it's been hard to find any conclusive proof. There were several researchers who were saying this does not seem right. When you search for all of these prominent Hong Kong protest hashtags on Instagram or Twitter or other sites, you, you see street battles and police misconduct and signs and protests, all of these things. And when you would search for the same thing on TikTok, you would get a much shinier and happier sort of vision of Hong Kong. But it's really hard to prove censorship in a way because it's what you're not seeing, right? And it's not just that they're deleting videos, but they also have the power to make a video what they call visible to self. So you can post a video and, you know, it's online. You see that it's still okay, but nobody's watching it. And so some of the researchers were saying, like, this is a really subtle way that they could prevent these things from taking off if if they don't want them. But it's not just the companies themselves that might be trying to control what goes on social media. Chinese politicians have also played very assertive roles in what happens with China's internet companies. We have seen this play out with a lot of companies, including ByteDance, including the owner of TikTok, where ByteDance ended up shutting down an entire app that was sort of built around inside jokes because the Chinese government felt that a lot of the content on there was subversive. And the head of ByteDance, who's this Chinese billionaire, effectively kind of the Zuckerberg of China named Zhang Yiming, he came out with this really self-effacing apology saying, I'm so sorry we did that. You know, we're really going to work hard to make sure that the Communist Party's views are broadcast to strength. For people in the West, it was concerning because it showed the extent with which the, the Chinese government had held sway over, over companies who want to survive in, in China. And so that was kind of an instrumental chapter in the ByteDance legacy. And then some people thought, hey, what, what happens if, if TikTok goes that way too? This is the question that U.S. lawmakers are trying to answer. What happens if this app that's wildly popular in America is indeed under the sway of the Chinese government? The Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, or CFIUS, is a government body made up of representatives from various federal agencies. Lately, they've been more aggressive about investigating Chinese ownership of apps like TikTok that operate in the U.S. Back in May, under pressure from CFIUS about data privacy, 
a Chinese company agreed to divest its interest in the gay dating app Grindr. And earlier this month, it was reported that they'd launched an investigation into the U.S. activities of ByteDance, which has no doubt gotten TikTok's attention because CFIUS is a powerful group. They get to review any time a foreign business or foreign investor invests in a U.S. company. They can review deals that were already signed, sealed, and delivered. They can squash deals. They can force a company to sell different parts of themselves to satisfy this government mandate. They have not traditionally been that active, but in the last couple of years, there have been these huge sort of surprise movements by CFIUS in which the U.S. government said, we're going to review this deal because we feel like it could potentially pose a national security threat. And so with Grindr, nobody was expecting CFIUS to ask questions about a gay dating app. And yet they came sort of out of nowhere and said, this is really important. This is data on people's health and relationships that could be used against people in a way that could compromise national security. And so they wielded a really heavy hand in the Grindr deal and and could do so again with TikTok. And so they're, they're one of these like government panels that you often never hear about, but when they come into the scene, it's it has the potential to be explosive. Let's sort of get into the actual security concerns here. So Senator Josh Hawley, his quote was, a company compromised by the Chinese Communist Party knows where your children are, knows what they look like, what their voices sound like, what they're watching and what they share with each other. I mean, do we need to be concerned that, that the Chinese Communist Party knows what, what our teens are doing? Is like, what, what is the real concern there? I think Josh Hawley's take on that is a little strong. I mean, I think the Chinese government could know that thing in the same way that a lot of that information is made public by the users in the first place. But there are lots of things we don't really know from a counterintelligence standpoint as to how serious of a threat do they think this is. You know, I think it's really easy to sort of laugh it off because we just, you know, it, it feels like what are people really putting out there that is so devastating that it could be a counterintelligence threat. And yet we've seen it play out with a lot of these tech companies. People put a lot of information on social media. And TikTok is sort of built around these really intimate moments that people can make video of that can include their location, include video from inside private businesses, from inside police stations and military bases. So there's a worry that that information in the wrong hands could be weaponized. Aside from these concerns that the Chinese government is going to get its hands on all our data or, you know, that it's going to use TikTok to hack into our phones and look through our iPhone cameras or something. I think the the other big category of concern is about censorship and propaganda, that the Chinese government is going to influence what you don't see on TikTok because it's suppressed. Maybe that's posts about, you know, Hong Kong demonstrations and what you do see. Maybe it propagates some sort of subtle, you know, Chinese propaganda. Have we seen any evidence of, of either of those things, censorship or propaganda going on so far on TikTok? There's a really kind of interesting way that the TikTok version in China called Douyin has developed where it's not just for entertainment, but it's it's a huge source of news for a lot of people. In China, you know, there's huge presence for sort of local police, state-sponsored media and propaganda that plays out on Douyin. There's a ton of sort of celebratory triumphant stuff around Xi Jinping in the in the, the the Chinese state. And so from researchers we talked to in, in Hong Kong and China and the US, I mean, there's is this feeling that 
what if what happens to the Chinese TikTok happens to the U.S. TikTok? What if it becomes this place where these ideas that align with the Chinese government are the things that you just end up stumbling upon while you're watching videos on your way to work? Is there sort of a subtle way that they could get people feeling better about China or worse about the Hong Kong protest or better or worse about one political candidate over the other? Could that happen in a way that nobody would really even pick up on? Some of this can feel a little like fear-mongering, where you say, China, and suddenly everything sounds scarier. U.S. local police and politicians often have Instagram accounts where they push their own narratives. It's not surprising that Chinese police and politicians would do the same. And of course, the spread of propaganda and disinformation on Facebook is now legendary. But there's a larger question here about soft power as it gets expressed through a country's social media. For a long time, it seemed a lot more straightforward where soft power meant, you know, Hollywood movies and, and U.S. culture in general kind of propagating around the world and maybe subtly spreading U.S. ideas and, 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 and pro-democracy ideas. And now it's much more complicated with these apps than it was when you just kind of made a piece of content and then tried to put it in front of people. It's, it's a little more complex. Yeah. The new soft power is the app. The new soft power is social media, right? Like if you can make it so it seems like 100,000 people are all tweeting about Hong Kong protesters being thugs, then you can potentially convince people that that is a view that 100,000 real people have. And maybe it's a view that they should have too. I wonder how much of this sudden scrutiny and anxiety uh, around TikTok is also just plain economic envy. You know, well, similar to in the 1980s, we were scared that Japanese companies were going to take over and eliminate all the American companies. And now suddenly China has this hugely successful social media app. And we're very used to Silicon Valley dominating this space. And maybe it it won't forever. You know, Mark Zuckerberg gave this speech where he really aggressively talked about how, how bad TikTok was in, in, in terms of these kind of China-related fears. But it's been reported that he tried to buy it before he made that speech. So how much of this is just concern that they're they're winning the, the the economic war, the war for eyeballs. Yeah, I think that's a totally unavoidable part of the conversation. There is a huge amount of um, competitive envy in Silicon Valley over how TikTok has done. And also this feeling of being unnerved by the fact that they could be supplanted by this huge rising Chinese industry of tech and AI and social media. So people are seeing Mark Zuckerberg say that and they're saying, oh, well, you're compromised. Like you you don't really believe that. You're just looking at Facebook's bottom line and using these Red Scare terms to knock down a competitor. For a long time, Silicon Valley would not criticize China because they wanted to do business in China. China is the second, the world's second largest economy. But now we are seeing the companies be a little more vocal in criticizing Chinese disinformation campaigns, Chinese intellectual property theft, and Chinese sort of social media rules that make it really hard for anybody but these this hand-selected group of mostly Chinese-based companies to prosper. These are business decisions at the end of the day. It's kind of amazing that we're talking about this like cutthroat global economic 
rivalry and and these geopolitical security concerns. And then, you know, I, I just opened TikTok up on my phone and it's like it's Reese Witherspoon dancing with her son. It's like a, it's like a kid, you know, making his friends <laughs> sit on a pizza without realizing it. It's just kind of this amazing collision of these like very serious things and these incredibly unserious things. Yeah, totally. And I think like young people are probably going to hear this and feel like, oh, my God, you're making like so much out of nothing. Like this is the app we watch people like throw pies in each other's face and do weird dances on the table. But um, I also think it's like a good sign that we're taking these platforms seriously. These are not just toys. These are the main ways people communicate and get information in the world today. TikTok can be funny videos and can be a counterintelligence threat all all in the same token. Drew Harwell, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Drew Harwell is a reporter for The Washington Post. Okay, that's the show. What Next TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks. I'm Seth Stevenson. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. Mary Harris will be talking impeachment later today, so keep an eye out for that episode in your feed. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. We're off next week over Thanksgiving, but Lizzie will be back December 6th with a new episode. She'll talk to you then. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.